Oh man, that never gets old, does it? I mean, yeah, you all, the, you all don't have any drama like that in your life, right? Especially like Clark Griswold around Christmas time. Good morning, my name's Tony. I am the lead pastor here. I want to welcome all of you back from the holidays. we got one more to celebrate, right? And uh, those of you watching on our online church, glad that you made it with us today. Uh, I'm glad to see that you survived the Christmas festivities. You know, nobody went to the ER for overindulgence, right, this week. As we learned last week, the top five reasons people go to the ER over Christmas, uh, the number five reason is overindulgence. Uh, I'm glad that you did not do that. Uh, today, I, I don't normally speak on the, th- on the last Sunday. I usually let somebody else do that, you know, it's long week, two or three sermons in a row, and, and uh, but about f- three or four weeks ago, I was driving, and I listened to several podcasts, and um, I have a schedule of podcasts that I listen to, and I have a favorite communicator of mine that I listen to, and he was talking about eliminating drama in your life, and I don't know, I just felt like, oh, that'd be such a good message because, you know, you all have a lot of drama in your... No, I'm just kidding. Um, it just seemed like a really good message for us today, going into 2020, on the secret to be drama-free. The secret to be drama-free. The truth is, we could all use a little less drama in our lives, whether it's relationally, whether it's financially, whether it's at the job place... I think the first thing that we need to do today before we get too far into the message is we need to define what drama is. Because I went out and I looked up in the Oxford Dictionary, and this is what I came up with. This is what drama is in the Oxford Dictionary. Now listen, an exciting, emotional, yeah, probably, or unexpected series of events or set of circumstances. I was just really unhappy with that, that definition. It did not ring with me. It just, you know, the drama that I have in my life, that just didn't quite fit. Um, so how many of you have ever heard of the Urban Dictionary? Oh, really? So I have to explain what the Urban Dictionary is. A couple of you have. I don't recommend that you go there anymore. It used to be a really good thing, but the Urban Dictionary was one of these things. It's online, and here's the great thing about the Urban Dictionary. Anyone can go out and take a phrase and define it however they think it needs to be defined. Yeah, it's an open source dictionary. Now, the Oxford Dictionary, no doubt, had some really smart people write this out, but I went out and found a definition for drama in the Urban Dictionary that I want to share with you, okay? Now, before I put this up there, ladies, yeah, let's just go right into it, all right? Something women, go slower. This is someone's idea of defining drama. Something women, next, next one, and especially teenage girls. Thrive on. <laughs> oh, it gets, yeah, okay. First of all, let me stop there. Men have drama in their lives. It's just a little different, and we show it a little differently, and all three of my daughters and wife just said amen, right? 
Well, let's go on. Consisting of any number of situations that have an easy solution, (laughs) which would bring a fairly good outcome. Next. But these girls choose another. Yeah, I'm not going to say what they said. Bad way to deal with it. Again, consisting of backstabbing, blackmailing, gossiping, and betraying their friends. And then they go and give an example. Here's an example. I want to break up with him, but I still love him. There's your drama. Is there another one? Yes. It drives men and normal girls crazy. How many normal girls do we have in here? Come on, ladies. All of you raise your hand because this is none of you, right? And uh, I'm sorry, ladies. That was the definition that some yahoo went out there and put on the urban dictionary of what dominant. Here's the deal. We all have craziness in our life. We all have things that we get sucked into, right? And even we help create some of this drama. So I need to make two very clear distinctions between the types of drama. Two types of drama that I'm going to talk that I'm going to talk about one of them, but there's two types. The first type is this. The unavoidable drama. This is everything family. You just can't avoid family, all right? Family is family. And some of you, just like Clark Griswold, you understand it. You just went through Christmas, man. Come on. Come on, give it to me. You just went through Christmas. You went to see those relatives, those brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and brothers and sisters and their nephew, your nephews and nieces. You just went and spent... Hours at a time with these folks, right? You cannot avoid this drama. Whatever's there is there, and you can't. But then there's the avoidable drama. And I'm going to talk about the avoidable drama. The avoidable drama is boyfriends and girlfriends and money and friends and scheduling drama, work drama. This is the drama that I'm talking about today. The stuff that you can avoid the things that you can overcome in your life. And so there's a secret to it. There really is a secret to to being drama-free. There's a secret to it. But the answer to being drama-free is found not in an answer, but in a question. It's found, the answer to the how is actually another question. How you get rid of the drama in your life determines, is determined on how you ask and answer this very, very important question. It might just be the best question that you could ever ask yourself. But here's the thing. So many of us here in this room are going to refuse to ask this question. Even though I tell you, it's the best question. It's the best way to overcome the drama. You will choose the drama over even asking this question. Today, I'm going to give you that question. I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to give you the secret to be drama-free, to eliminate that drama in your life, but you're going to avoid it. And here's why. Because this question will bring such clarity to your life that you're just not going to want to face up to it. 
It's going to shine like this million loom light spotlight on your life. Every decision, every choice, everything you do, whether it's with relationships or money or whatever you do in your life, every choice, every relationship, this question shines such a bright light on it that many of us would rather just deal with the drama later than ask the question. But here's the thing, and I promise this to you. I promise you, if you will ask the question, and you will begin to ask daily this question and answer it honestly, I promise you, you will have less drama in your life. You'll have fewer regrets in your life. And you will make better decisions, especially the big ones. But I'm going to give you the question toward the end. Oh, somebody said, oh. That's a strategy, man. I want you to hang with me. I'm going to build up to why this is the best question. And it's found in the Bible. It's found in Ephesians chapter 15, verse 15 through 17. I'm going to walk you through these three verses. And we're going to stay there for a few minutes. And I'm going to drop this all-important question on you. But after I walk through these Scripture verses, the Apostle Paul wrote them. You may not know who Paul is, but Paul was actually, he used to be named Saul. And Saul was this dude that went around, he was a Pharisee, he was a Jew, and this Jesus movement popped up, and these Jesus followers popped up, and these people were like changing the world, and they were doing crazy things, and there was this word that Jesus was raised from the dead, and Paul just didn't believe. And so instead of just not believing, Paul became adamant. I mean, he was a, they they say that Christians died at the feet of Paul. He okayed their stoning to death. He threw them in prison. He took long journeys with papers to go and arrest people. I mean, Paul was this, he just wanted to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. Until he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus... He changed. His whole life changed. God said, okay, there's the enemy of the Christian state. And now he meets Jesus, his life changes, and Paul now becomes the spokesman for the Christian state. It's an amazing transformation. You can read all about his transformation in the book of Acts. But Paul proceeds to write much of our New Testament. This Jesus movement became so real to him that Paul started planting churches all over the place. And he started writing letters to the churches. This is how you should live. This is how you should be. This is what Christianity is all about. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to change your culture, to be in the culture but not of it. And Paul started writing all these letters. And he wrote one specifically to a church in Ephesus. And that's where we get the book. We call it a book, but it's a letter called Ephesians. And let's just jump right into it. Paul starts in verse 15. He says, Be very careful then how you live. How you live. And stop there. To live, some of your Bibles may say, walk. This is the decision making. It has to do with the decisions that we make every day of our life. 
the choices we make, the people we hang with, the way we spend our money, the way we use our time, how we walk through life. Paul is getting to the details of life. And he's saying, be careful. Don't do this just nonchalantly. Don't just go out and do whatever feels right, but be careful how you walk. The steps that you take. And you might be like me, and I say, okay, Paul, well, how shall we live? Tell me, how shall we live? How should we make decisions? And he says this, not as unwise, but as wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. What does that mean? Can you be a little bit more detailed, Paul? Can you tell me, should I buy the car or not? Should I marry the girl or not? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I, should I, should I, should I? Tell me, Paul, I want to know. Give me this writing on the wall thing. And he just says simply, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So what is wisdom? How do you live wise? Is it my intelligence? Does it matter? My IQ matter? Is it my education? Is it my age? You know, can I, am I like really stupid when I'm young? Well, that's an argument that we all probably shouldn't get into, but because there's young people here. But am I dumb when I'm young and I'm sort of wise when I'm about, you know, 40? And then when I hit 60, then I get really wise. Is it an age thing? Is it just an experience? Is it my upbringing? Is it my family background? How do you live wise? Here's something that I've observed in my life and something that I've learned and am still learning every day that wisdom has nothing to do with my intelligence, my age, my experience, my education. But wisdom instead, and in people that I've seen and things that I've learned in my life and that I've experienced when I've done this, wise people, wisdom is not about what's here. Wisdom is about understanding that everything in life is connected. It's connected. What I do today matters tomorrow. What I did yesterday matters today. And that's what Paul's getting at. Wisdom is the ability for a person to look into the future and make decisions like, okay, this decision I'm about to make feels really good right now, but I know it's going to end up in my future. And I know it's going to affect my future. And I know it's going to affect this. And I know it's going to affect that person. Wisdom is this knowing that every choice you make is connected. And then you choose wisely. Wise people fully understand and they embrace that there is a cause and an effect in life. Jesus said it this the way you will reap what you sow. Really foolish people live their life and think they can sow bad things and good things will happen. That's a fool. A wise person understands if I sow bad things, eventually bad things are going to happen. If I sow good things, good things are going to happen. I heard one person say it this way. 
my present, will one day be my past, which will show up in my future. Say that again. My present will one day be my past, which will show up in my future. And when you look at life that way, you realize life is not lived in a vacuum. It's not lived in a cave. You're not, you're not buried when you make decisions and then you come out into life. No, every choice, every decision, every relationship will show up in your future. Paul says that we are to walk wisely. We are to live as though what I'm doing now will be my past and will show up in my future. To Be unwise means that I think today is today, tomorrow's tomorrow, and they're not connected in any way. How I live today doesn't matter because tomorrow's a new day. Enjoy the day, live it up, and start over tomorrow. He goes on, verse 16. So he says, Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Then he says, making the most of every opportunity. And that word opportunity is is critical to us. When we think of opportunity, in our way, we think of, oh, there's an opportunity. There's something good's going to come to me. But what the word really means in the English is opportunity. But the Greek word that Paul uses is a word for time. It's a word for time. Some of your Bibles might actually say, redeem the time. This version actually says, make the most of every opportunity. And when you look at it, it really means the same thing. Opportunity is time. Opportunity is time. And life happens in time. Paul is saying, you make choices every day. Choose wisely by redeeming the time, by using your time wisely. Wisdom is connected to how we use our time. Walking wisely means that we are careful in how we spend our time. So Paul uses this idea of redeeming time. This tells me that I need to and you need to view your time not as something that just kind of flies by, but view it as currency. Currency. How many of you right now, if you had 10 $100 bills in your pocket, would leave this place, roll your windows down, open your wallet, and just let the wind just kind of blow those away. You wouldn't, right? Why? Why would you not do that? I mean, maybe you would if it's unlimited to you. I don't know anybody like that. All currency is what? Limited. You only have so much of it. But it's also valuable. It's valuable. Sometimes, listen to me, I'm, I'm trying to get you to redeem your time because this is what people do. We look at time as something that is not limit, that is unlimited and that it is of value. And people who make unwise choices in life, you, you've heard it said, 
Young people live as though they've got their whole life ahead of them until they don't, right? Because they don't understand that time is limited. And they don't understand that the time they have is valuable. Some of you are really good at this. You figured it out. You've you figured it out in life, and honestly, you don't have a lot of drama in your life. I'm just being honest, and you'll be honest with me. Some of you, you just don't have a lot of this drama because you figured this secret out. Here's something about time that you need to understand, this redeeming of it. If you do, listen, if you do important things with your time, If you do important things, if you look at your time and you take your time and you begin to take that time and redeem it to do important things, you will begin to run into and meet and make friends and relationships with other important people doing important things. You will take care of your discretionary time And you will begin to do important things. You will walk wisely as though life is connected. And you are asking me, I know you're probably trying to figure out, okay, what is an important thing? I mean, you know, watching Mandalorian every week is pretty important to me, right? Or Star Wars, or going and seeing that movie, or going down here with this and doing that. I mean, there's a lot of important things. Here's what I'm talking about and what I think Paul's really getting at. An important thing... Just listen to me. An important thing in life, one that you do that builds wisdom, that's wise, an important thing is anything that you can do that's not about you. Some of us have too much drama because our whole life's just about us. An important thing, an important way to use your time is to begin to do anything that's not about you. When you do important things, you will meet other important people. Listen. The world is lying to you. They tell you that you must become important so that you can do important things. It's the other way around. Begin now to redeem your time to do important things and then you'll become important. I think Jesus said it this way. If you want to be great among you, you must become least. You want to eliminate the drama in your life. Begin to redeem your time and start doing things that are not about you. And those things become important things. And then you begin to run into... And here's something I have found about people who are too busy doing important things. They don't have the patience or the time for things that are dramatic. They don't have a lot of drama in their life because they're too busy doing important things. It's when we spend our whole life doing unimportant things that drama comes. Paul's not done yet. He gives us a reason why. He says, make every opportunity. And then he says, because, because, 
This is why you live your life carefully, like wise, not unwise. This is why you redeem your time. This is why you begin to do important things in your life, because the days, they are evil. The days are evil. Now, Paul here begins to talk about culture. Culture. We think our culture is evil. I'm just going to give you a heads up. Paul's culture, way worse than our culture. Way worse. You know, you and I have this... uh, we were born in a country that was founded upon Judeo-Christian. I know we look at our culture and we see what's happening. We're like, oh, you know, our, we're going, you know, it's, oh, it's terrible. Listen, it's nothing like what Paul had to deal with. Paul was speaking to a Roman Greek culture. This is a culture that basically people did whatever they wanted. There was no conscience. There was no, no morality. There was no ethic. They just did whatever they want because there's a temple down there on that corner and there's a temple down on that corner. And if I do something that might offend that God, you know, I'll just go give a sacrifice and make that God happy for today and then I'll go do my thing again. And that's the way they lived. They had no value for life, no value for women, no value for children. Their sexuality and their sexual practices were just... They would make us all blush, even in our culture. Paul's culture was so much worse than our culture. We were raised, and even though I know there's a lot of things going on in our culture, but in general, our culture still has a sense that some things are right and wrong. It's not okay to have slaves, right? Not in Paul's culture. It's not okay to abuse women or to abuse children. Not in Paul's culture. And even though that happens in our culture, we all have a general sense that there's not, it's, it's not okay. It, it's the, the, the combined culture says, no, it's not okay. But Paul, he was living in a culture, and he, Paul is saying, listen, be wise with your time because the times, they are evil. What does he mean by that? He means this. That all cultures has this way, this undercurrent about it. Culture doesn't just pull you downstream. Culture pulls you under. And there is a culture in the world that has this undercurrent. And it pulls us down and pulls us out. And you might be saying, well, Tony, you know, that's Paul's culture. That's not ours. Yes, but what is true of Paul's culture is also true of ours. The context might be different, but all cultures, nearly all culture has a way of pulling and this undercurrent that pulls people to a certain mindset and a certain ethic and a certain moral and a certain way of life. And Paul is challenging this way of life. In almost every culture, it impacts. Listen to me. Whether it's Paul's culture, our culture, another culture, this undercurrent, listen, this undercurrent influences three major parts of your life. The first one is your relationships. The second one is your sexual relationships. And the third one is your finances. Culture comes at you, and some of our greatest cultural battles happening right now are around relationships, sexual relationships, and finances. 
Where's 90% of your drama? Where's most of your drama in life? Go to the source. What's it about? It's going to be about your relationships, your sexual relationships, and your finances. That's the drama. That's the undercurrent. That's what's pulling us down. And so Paul goes on in Ephesians 17, five, or chapter 5, verse 17. He says this, Therefore, you all know what I tell you, right? When you see a therefore in Scripture, you should find out what it's there for, right? Therefore, because you need to live, because you need to redeem your time and you need to live wise and you need to be careful how you live, therefore, he says, do not be foolish. There's that word. He's bringing back in that wisdom and being foolish. Now listen, he says, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is so important for us today. Paul's saying, in light of what I just said, and then he gives this imperative. It's a grammatical uh, way of speaking. He says, an imperative is a command. Paul commands them. Understand this, he says. Understand. It's an odd command. Have you ever been trying to explain to somebody your way of thinking and they're just not getting it? And they just don't understand. And you're like, no, that's not what I said. And they says, yeah, that's what I'm hearing. And you're sitting there having this conversation. Have you ever just stopped and say, I command you to understand? You see how silly that is? Do you see how foolish that is? Paul, though, uses an imperative and he commands them to understand. He commands them, you shall understand this, he says. And here's what I think Paul is saying. And stay with me. Listen to me. This is what Paul's saying. Christian, wake up. Wake up. Open your eyes, he's saying. He's saying, own up to it. Face it. Look in the mirror. Understand this. It's important. You need to understand what God's will is. As a matter of fact, no more games, no more pretending, no more playing ignorant, no more making excuses for not living out God's life. You know what God's will for you is. You need to understand it. That's what he says. Admit to what God wants for you. Admit to what kind of life God wants for you. What God has for you. Admit it. Be wise. Redeem your time. Begin to live not for yourself, but for others. And stop making excuses. Be careful how you make choices and decisions in your life. Because it's all connected. Listen, church, your present will one day be your past, and your past will always show up in your future. Come on, church, he says. You know in your heart what God wants of you. Stop playing games and start living wisely. So let's put it all together. Paul says this. Be very careful then how you live. 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, redeeming your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here's the question. Remember earlier I told you this is the most important question that you can ask yourself, but many of us will never, we we just won't, we'll avoid this question. Here's the question. When you're in every aspect of life, every relationship, every decision, you need to stop. You need to say, Jesus, what is the wise thing to do? I know that's not what I've said to you in the past. I've said, what is the right thing to do? But that's not a good question. And I'm going to tell you why that's not a good question. The question isn't what is the right thing. And here's the reason why. Because what might be right for you might be wrong for you. And what might be wrong for you might be okay for you. To ask what is the right question puts us in line and makes us all kind of the same. Listen, it's the wrong question. Here's our problem with asking what is the right question. Human nature always wants to live as close to the line without stepping over it. In Christian terms, we might say, how close can I get to sin before I actually sin. People ask me this a lot. Pastor, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is doing that a sin? Is this a sin? Is that a sin? It's the wrong question. What I really need to start saying to you is, I don't know, is it the wise thing to do? If I say, yes, that's a sin, then here's what you will do. You will, because culture will pull you this way, you'll get as close to the line as you can, and you'll try to tightrope that line without going over. That's human nature. The Hebrews had this problem. God gave them ten laws. And then they made up 600-some more to try to see, okay, we can get as close to this as we can, but let's not step over. And Jesus comes along and says, yeah, you heard it said that if you commit adultery, it's a sin. Yep, never committed adultery. And then Jesus says, yeah, but you're walking too close to the line because you think of a woman as you shouldn't. Therefore, you've committed adultery. Jesus, why do you got to do that? We always want the Ten Commandments, and Jesus comes out and just lays down the heart. It's not about what's right. It's about what is wise. There's a reason. I heard a pastor say this, culture will bait you to the edge, then mock you when you step over the line. No, 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 nothing wrong with that. Sure, no, no, nothing wrong with that. No, you can do that. Oh, just... You can participate. Go to the party. Go with your friends. Go to Vegas. Do whatever. Do, go. You can just walk the line. Don't go over the line, but walk. No, nothing wrong with it. Come on, you can do it. And five years later, you're addicted to gambling. Or you're addicted to alcohol. Or you're addicted to a drug. Or you're addicted to something. Or you've cheated on your wife or your husband. Or something's happened because you got so close to the line and then you step over. And here's what the culture does. What's wrong with you, man? 
can't you control yourself? You can't participate anymore. But everyone's doing it. Yeah, but you can't anymore because, you know, you've crossed the line. And that's what culture does to us. It pulls us to the edge. And then it mocks us when we cross the line. So the question is, not can I go up to the line? Can I participate? Can I get this close? But is it wise? The drama in our lives can almost always be tracked back, listen, to an unwise decision in my past. The guilt, the regret, the unhealthy habits that we have, all of it, we can trace those back to an unwise decision that we made in our past that's now showing up in our present and is going with us into the future. So how do you ask the question? There's really three dimensions to this that I want to walk you through really quick. There's three ways that you need to ask this question. When you come up on a decision, you come up to something, is this right or is this wrong? Don't ask that question. Say, is it wise? Ask it in three dimensions. Ask it in from your past point of view, your present point of view, and your future point of view. And here's how you do that. In the past, say this. In light of my past experiences, and be honest with yourself, in light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing to do? The last time I went there, this happened. The last time I called him, this happened. The last time I did this. The last time I bought one of those. The last time I moved in with him or her, this happened. Look in your past and be honest about what's happened and ask yourself from the past point of view, in light of how that went for you, Ask, is this the wise thing to do? And then the present. Ask yourself this. In light of my present situation, what is the wise thing to do? You know, I just broke up with my boyfriend. I probably shouldn't go there. I've been sober for a year. I probably shouldn't go there. I just went through a divorce. Probably not the right people to hang out with right now. My job, I lost it. Probably shouldn't buy that new car, right? Semester's been tough, and my grades aren't that great, and I really want to go to the party, but I probably should stay home and study. You see what I'm saying? In light of your present situation, is this the wise thing to do? In light of what is going on emotionally and financially and relationally and professionally for you, make decisions that are wise. Listen, Wise people understand this, that no now does not mean no later. It's not about whether it's right or wrong at this time. It's about is it wise, but in the future it might be okay to buy that car, to buy that whatever, to go to that party, to go out with those friends. But in my present situation, it's probably not wise for me to do that. And then look at it in view of your future. I love this one. In light of my future dreams and vision for my life, what I'm about to do, is it a wise thing to do? 
in light of where you want to be someday, where you want to be relationally, where you want to be financially, where you want to be professionally, spiritually, physically, what story do you want to tell? What book do you want to write about your life? When you look to the future, listen, you need a vision of what you want your life to be. When you're 50, 60, 70, 80, and that vision, that view, that that bright, clear picture, that clear picture that you have of what you want to be in the future will determine how you live today. A personal vision is a catalyst for wise decisions. Why? Because wise people know this. My present will one day be my past, which will show up in my future. Let's be wise. Let's make wise decisions in view of our past, our present, and our future. What is the wise thing to do now? Amen. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to pray a prayer that I want you to pray with me. It's truly a prayer of confession for all of us. Because the truth is, we all, have a little unav- we all have a little avoidable drama in our life. Some of us more than others. And that's okay. It's not the end. Start making wise decisions today. So I'm going to pray, and I want you to repeat after me, okay? Jesus... I know you want better for me. I confess there's too much drama in my life. Drama that is avoidable. I have been unwise with my time. Too many unimportant things. My life is too much about me. I understand what the Lord's will is. I am waking up to the truth. I repent of my old ways. I embrace wisdom. I embrace you, Jesus. Help me to be wise with my time so that I might be an imitator of God. Jesus, help me be drama-free. Amen.